This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Monday, July 3rd. Mm-hmm. Welcome to all the new fellows. That's right. Who are probably not worried about boards, I would say. Yeah, but you know, you remember, do you remember your first week of fellowship? Maybe you already had an orientation and you're like, I'm going to start studying for the boards no, this week, unless was, you were the person who was on service. And you see, you see, this is how disconnected Daphne was because <laughs> of the fact that she was the almighty chief pediatric resident <laughs> and that she forgot that the, That's the, true. the lowly uh, resident who moved on to fellowship were terrified of pediatrics boards. And we were like, holy shit, I have to That's take the pediatric true. boards. So That's I was like <laughs> panicking of how am I going to get through this? Like being on service and then I have to take the boards and remember now adolescent medicine. Holy moly. But okay, you probably- I'll give you that. <laughs> But anyway, so if you're a new fellow, welcome. If you're listening, it's not actually a bad idea to... uh, I'll repeat this again, this advice from this senior resident that I had in pediatrics. No matter what stage you're in, do a question a day and you'll be the best resident or fellow in your program. Do a question a day. I still think it's a lofty goal. (laughs) It's a very hard goal. It sounds so easy. Maybe do a question a day when you're not on service. No. So his advice was do a question a day and not like, oh, I missed three days in a row. I'm going to do four questions with it. No, a question a day and you read the answer and you'll see it works. It's just work. It just works. I mean, I think it's a reasonable habit, right? Yeah, it's a great habit. Brushing your teeth. You just I've missed. I've missed many days. Of brushing your teeth? No, of uh, (laughs) doing a question a day. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so for fellows who are new to the pro to the, to their fellowship program, welcome to the, uh, neonatology review podcast. We have, um, a great series and, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. And for people who are studying for the boards, we're, we're here again this week. Hello, everybody. Um, we're going to do some things interesting this week. We're going to take a little bit of a break this week. <clears throat> and for us taking a little bit of a break means we're going to just do some questions. Ooh. Yeah. Um, should we even keep a tally? That's that make it fun. Of so, questions? No, of who gets it right, who gets it wrong. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then um and then we're gonna also um re-release some it's not the schedule hasn't been like you should have been with us pre-recording. We're still figuring out what we're gonna do, but we're gonna re-release also either this week or in the coming week. Uh, some of the episodes recorded by Dr. Brodsky and Martin that we did together where they basically share with us their study uh, strategies, their tips, some of the things that they did to uh, be success so successful. And um, and I think a lot of the stuff, even though they took their boards a while back, still applies. So totally. uh, we, yeah. might, uh, we might rerun some of these as well so that uh, you don't have to look for them. All right, Daphna. So we're going to do some GI questions. I mm-hmm. hope you're ready. Mm-hmm. GI questions are hard. All right, I'm ready? getting I'm getting you started. You ready? Oh, GI... you want? Oh, fine. yeah. I'm gonna say I'm throwing you a little bit of a, a curveball right there. No, you... I don't care. I'm ready. You... 
You're ready? Okay, Daphna, GI question number one. By the way, for people who are new to this program, we uh-huh. are doing questions from the Brodsky and Martin. We're following the Brodsky and Martin series. This is a Brodsky and Martin podcast. Um, so everything is coming from their books. You can get them on lulu.com. We have links everywhere around the mm-hmm. uh, to purchase the, these books. You can have them uh, in the show notes on the episode page or in the episode description. And uh, the cool thing, I think, is that the question book is actually available in digital format. So that's actually mm-hmm. quite helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. All right, Daphna. A term female infant develops bilious vomiting at 48 hours of age. She's not past meconium, abdomen, extremely distended. Physical examination shows a normal appearing perineum. Abdominal radiograph shows dilated small and large bowel with absence of rectal air. No other anomalies are apparent. I feel like you see this every day. Uh, of the following, the most likely diagnosis in this infant is choice A, annular pancreas. Choice B, duodenal atresia. Choice C, Hirschsprung's disease. Choice D, ileal atresia. Choice E, pyloric stenosis. That's why I want to look this up. I want to look for this pathology every time. Ah, uh, yes, this, this is okay. So this this question is really saying, like, what's the level of obstruction, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know that it's got to be pretty distal, right? Um, and they gave you they give you a lot. They gave you this buzzword that there's been no meconium passed at 48 hours of age. So given that and the fact that you have dilation basically until the rectum, I think Hirschsprung's answer C. Is that your final answer? Yes. All right. We're, we're dragging this a little bit too much now. Yes, that is correct. Let me just actually, I want to pull up my notes. Maybe that will be actually helpful. Um, yes. Um, basically, you are right. There's a, so many buzzwords. The bottom line is that this question tells you that a baby has vomiting, has not passed stool. So, so you have signs of uh, an intestinal obstruction. And based on the... Um, Based on the description, you can probably say it's a distal intestinal obstruction, and that's consistent with Hirschsprung's Hirschsprung mm-hmm. disease. Uh, the typical uh, neonatal presentation really includes that very much, this hallmark of like uh, no stool for 48 hours. You have bilious emesis, you have abdominal distension, and um, the disease is really, right, if you need to remember, it's, it's absence of intramural ganglia in the affected bowel segment. And so the radiographic findings demonstrating distension of the small and large bowel with lack of rectal air are quite typical. Um, You might wanna wanna diagnose this with um, starting with some uh, radiographic studies, maybe even contrast studies, but at the end of the day, uh, suction biopsies is the the choice that will help you make a definitive diagnosis intraoperatively. the suction biopsies can be done, right? As we know, they can be done live during the OR where they have a, a frozen sample that they can actually uh, report to the surgeon during the OR or do it in two stages where you, you get the biopsies and, and then you send them for culture, for, for, uh, for pathology, and then, then go back to the OR. Um, the other choices were interesting. The annular pancreas, right, may lead to um, a duodenal atresia with finding of like a double bubble appearance radiographically and limited distal air. 
if you have ileal atresia, you may have a triple bubble sign on X-ray with multiple dilated loops uh, with their fluid levels. And um, infants with pyloric stenosis should not have bilious emesis, as was the case in this uh, question. Uh, a few more facts about Hirschsprung, since we're talking about it. The incidence is 1 in 5,000. 80% are male. Um, if you already have a sibling with Hirschsprung, the risk of recurrence is about 3 to 5%. There's a strong association with the genetic syndromes like trisomy 21, Wardenburg, uh, 13Q deletion. And it's really uh, this lack of uh, ganglia, of intramural ganglia, is an issue uh, related to failure of neural crest migration at eight to 10 weeks. Um, what else can I tell you? Um, the complication that is feared in the case of Hirschsprung is obviously bacterial mm -hmm. enterocolitis. And with that, it's question one. Okay, uh, I'm gonna ask you question two. We've Ooh. done this question before. Let's do it. Some time ago. Um, a fetus with intestinal atresia has an intrauterine intestinal perforation at 28 weeks gestation. What is the most likely postnatal radiographic finding? Is it A, dilated bowel loops, B, intra-abdominal calcifications, C, paucity of bowel gas, D, pneumatosis, or E, portal venous gas? Yeah, it's always it's always the same, right? It's always the problem of I kind of know that intra-abdominal calcification mm -hmm. um, is the one, but uh, then there's always these these distracting choices mm -hmm. like dilated loops of bowel. Could they have dilated loops of bowel? I don't know. But <laughs> definitely calcification is one of them. So I remember that question. I would say B, intra-abdominal calcification. That's right. So an intra an intrauterine intestinal perforation can lead to meconium peritonitis. So basically just like happens postnatally, meconium is then um, outside of the intestine and in the abdominal cavity. But what happens is that basically the meconium undergoes this dystrophic calcification. Um, and so that's what we see uh, radiographically on x-ray. And the calcifications can be anywhere, but they tend to be nearest the site of perforation. Um, and so they're frequently found kind of in the right upper quadrant or along the right plane. 86% um, of fetuses with meconium peritonitis have intra-abdominal calcifications, which are visible approximately eight days after the perforation. They can last for a very long time and they can sometimes be present before um, eight days. Mixed meconium and urine calcifications are present in cases such as Rectourethral fistulas. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to, I'm going to do question three. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is that there's an x-ray. So mm -hmm. I am, do you have, do you have it open? Mm -hmm. Okay. So don't look at it. Okay. You're going to we'll, describe it to me. I'm not actually not going to describe it. I'm going to describe you the situation. I'm going to describe you the x-ray. And then you're going to tell me what do you want to look at on the x-ray and I'll reveal sort of the and I, because I think okay. it's it's actually quite interesting to see like your approach to an X-ray, because mm -hmm. I think that's what I think uh, people who are studying could find valuable. You're good at reading X-ray, so I think. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, gastroenterology question three: You have a ten-day-old Daphna, one thousand gram infant, presents with increased abdominal distension and bilious aspirates, not emesis, but aspirates, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then. Um, the nurse brings up these concerns. You get an X-ray. So, what do you want to look at on the X-ray? You get that story on the exam. You want what do you want to know? 
Yeah. I think it's good to have a, you know, a standard approach to looking at x-rays. And I think there are two ways to do x-rays. One is you look for the scariest thing first and then walk yourself through the rest of the x-ray. Or you look for the scariest thing last and walk your th- yourself through the, the rest of the, the x-ray. I think either would be a reasonable approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an x-ray where we're worried about an acute pathology, I mean, truthfully, I think I look at the scary things first and then I remind myself to go back um, through my standard x-ray approach. So for this kid, the most concerning thing I think we would be looking for is is evidence of neck, obviously. Okay. So I would want to look for some of the hallmark signs, um, intestinal distension, dilation, bowel wall thickening, um, certainly pneumatosis or portal venous gas. Hold on. So... um... Yes. So if you looked at the x-ray, the first thing that's going to jump at you is that the intestines are pretty much diffusely distended. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some areas that on the x-ray, maybe on the, on the, on the right upper quadrant, that the, the, there's like a loop that seems a bit bigger than others, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you were asking abdominal distension. Yes. Um, you want to ask about pneumatosis. I think pneumatosis is a tricky one. And I sure. feel like many people are having a hard time knowing whether there's pneumatosis or not. Um, and the main reason why it could be hard to, to find pneumatosis, pneumatosis, sorry, is because of uh, the fact that it could look like stool. You know, it's a bit of mm-hmm. patchy black, patchy white. And you're like, well, is that poop? Is that not a poop? So in this case, I would say that you do have pneumatosis because mm-hmm. you clearly see this sort of train track appearance, which means mm-hmm. you see uh, almost like stripe. You see black, white, black, meaning there is uh, air forming outside the place. So it's, it looks like really this, 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 these, these bands. Uh, so yes, you do see pneumatosis. And, um, and then you mentioned something else. You mentioned portal venous gas. If you look in the uh, liver, you will see like a like a little tree of air there, like a, almost like a bronchus. So yes. So it's the real deal. It's the real deal. And I think you you described this very well. I think you're thinking uh, because on 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 the on the test, you will say, well, that sounds like neck, but then you're gonna say, well, am I dealing with something else, something funkier? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking neck, I would say look at the right side. Look at the right lower quadrant, which is your the place you're most likely to see nematosis. Then stay in the right side, go in the upper quadrant, look for the portal venous gas, like you said, and that should pretty much make the diagnosis for you. Um, so now what is the question? The question... Sorry, but for completeness sake, clinically, I mean, if you saw that, you'd probably start a bunch of things and you should still stop and look at the rest of the x-ray. And especially on the test, I think even if you see what you are expecting to see, you should make sure you don't see anything else like... Yeah. Uh, was there free air on this x-ray? Um, where is the OG tube? Um, anything else like uh, calcifications would be a useful one in this clinical scenario. And then bony structures, things like that. Yeah. So in this case, you you had a clinical approach to the x-ray. And um, and like my med school teacher used to say, are the things, are, are the things that are supposed to be black, black? Are the things mm. that are supposed to be white, white? And you can start looking at all these different things. Uh, we're running short on time, so we have to move on. But I'm going to ask you the question then. The most mm-hmm. appropriate initial management for this infant is to 
A, administer a fluid bolus and improve intestinal perfusion. B, intubate the infant in anticipation of apnea. You could have written this also as intubate for bowel rest, mm -hmm. but I guess for apnea is even better. C, obtain an abdominal ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis. Choice D, sedate the infant to minimize abdominal movements. Choice C, stop the feeding, place a repugal tube to continuous suction to provide bowel rest. Okay, so I think people get tripped up on the boards because you're like, I would do a bunch of these things at the same time. Some of them you know you're not going to do right out the gate. So, um, but I think the reminder is like that you probably never saw Frozen. Did you see Frozen? You... Yes, I have a daughter. <laughs> Frozen too. Okay, yeah, you just Frozen. have to do the next right thing. The next right thing. I mean, it's like, what do you have to do immediately? Like you see that x-ray and you're like, oh shit, this is the first thing I'm going to do. And I mean, it's got to be E. Stop feedings and replace your pogo to continue a suction to provide bowel rest. Very good, right? Okay, so the, the clinical findings uh, are suggestive for neck. The radiographic findings, like you said, are suggestive of neck. And there's uh, the AP and uh, AP and left lateral recumbent radiographs are the ideal studies to assess intestinal gas pattern uh, and looking for free air. Um, and you and I, we didn't describe an LLD, but you may want to get an LLD. Mm -hmm. But even before you're going to do this, if you just have this AP, you should stop feeds. Yeah. Um, intestinal ileus is the most common early finding of infants affected with neck. Other early findings include intestinal dilation, like you said, thickening of the bowel loops, air fluid levels um, in uh, the decubitus view. The pathognomonic finding of neck is intramural gas, also known as pneumatosis intestinalis. This is actually something you would see if you're looking at this x-ray the, in the book. The gas is located uh, between the subserosal sub and the muscularis layers of the bowel and is attributable to, is attributable to hydro, hydrogen production from pathogenic bacteria within the bowel wall. Two radiographic patterns of pneumatosis are described. You have cystic and linear. I think in this case, you would see actually cystic. Uh, you would see linear, I'm sorry. The cystic type is usually air bubbles in the submucosal layer and may appear similar to fecal material. As we said, mm -hmm. as we were talking about this, the linear pattern is formed by coalesced air bubbles and runs parallel to the bowel lumen. Um, some additional uh, radiographic findings in infants with neck include portal venous gas, which you can see in this x-ray, thickened bowel walls, fixed loops, and intraperitoneal air. The initial management uh, requires decompression of the bowel gas by the placement of a repogal tube to low continuous suction. Feedings should be discontinued to ensure bowel rest, and antibiotics should be started. Serial monitoring of electrolytes, platelets, hematocrit, and abdominal radiographs are helpful to determine the progression of the disease. And surgical bowel resection may be sometimes warranted. In the case of this question, I would say that the fluid bolus, from my experience, is rarely a, right, a correct answer. There are mm. very few things. Mm -hmm. um, there are very few things where you're going to bolus a baby, and it's going to be the correct answer on the test. I would say a baby born to a mother with an abruption who has lost a lot of blood may, may benefit from some blood being given as, almost in the form of a bolus, but like a fluid bolus is rarely the right answer. Intubating the infant was another choice, which actually may be a good idea depending on, mm -hmm. we, we don't, but if you think about it, the t question doesn't even tell you what the kid is on. So if the kid's on room right. air, you don't need, why, why would you intubate? And they're doing fine. You don't need to do that. Um, an abdominal ultrasound is interesting because 
uh, it is not how we confirm the diagnosis, but it's technically a good, it's becoming more and more uh, described as a way to diagnose uh, neck. So I think that's maybe getting a bit controversial to put on the test, may not show up. And then mm -hmm. sedating the infant is definitely not the right answer, but you uh, providing pain management it would have been something mm -hmm. correct. Maybe not the first next thing, but definitely, yeah. Okay. okay. Should we? Uh, okay, everybody. We'll, well, thank you for listening and um, we will see you tomorrow. For thank you for questions. listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.